0: We are in the book of James and our faith is on trial. It's being tested to see if it is a faith that works. Uh, in James we learn that a faith that fails is a faith that's faulty. So this morning we're going to consider some characteristics of a counterfeit faith. I'm telling you what, the, you, you look at the little book of James, it's only five chapters long and you think This is a good little book, it's short, it's easy to read, but it is chock full of information and investigation into our own hearts. Uh, So, and we look at this counterfeit faith. This is the kind of faith that doesn't work and there are certain indications uh, that it's not working and some of those indications might be true in your own life that might cause you to do a little deeper investigation into your own heart and where you stand with the Lord. Because you have to have more than a profession of faith. Your life has to be characterized by more than the fact that you came down the aisle one Sunday and said, I believe in Jesus. Because James is gonna tell you, even the demons believe, and they tremble. So your faith has to be a faith that works. And according to James, uh, a faith that doesn't work has a problem, and we're gonna see that problem as we look at this passage of scripture this morning. James chapter one, beginning to read in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Those are verses that are packed full of information. And in them, James is not talking about just any old brand of Christianity. He's talking about the real thing, The Genuine Article. You might notice that he talked about pure and undefiled religion. And he said, in the sight of God. In other words, it's not man's estimation, but it is as God judges. On the other hand, he speaks of a religion that is worthless. He talks about the contrast between the hearer and the doer. The contrast between the word imparted and the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. He also shows us that some who present themselves as devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus can be living a delusion having deceived their own hearts. so there's some troubling things in there that we just sort of skip over we read and we don't see them so his purpose is to help us examine our own hearts he wants us to see that our faith is on trial it's being tested to see if it is really a faith that works and so this morning What you wanna do is we sort of outline this passage of scripture by these four or five characteristics of a counterfeit faith. You wanna see if your faith is really a faith that works. And the first characteristic that he outlines is this, is exercising human anger to accomplish its own will. He says in verse 19, this you know my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now the word there, depending on how it's translated in your Bible, produce or achieve, is literally to work with a view toward accomplishment. Uh, And the the thing you're trying to accomplish is God's righteousness, God's purpose, or God's will. And so you're going to use anger. To accomplish the purpose of God now some people use anger to prove a point or get their way and let's face it it may do exactly that Uh, however it does not bring about God's will or God's righteousness you might say well I had to get mad to get this changed or to make that happen but at what cost at what expense at what long-term consequences you assume your anger was effective that it worked But in fact, James says, using anger doesn't work. It never works. Anger is a means of manipulating others. Well, you might say, well, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. You can be angry and not sin, it does say that. But it also says, uh, your anger doesn't need to be carried over to tomorrow. If it does, it has the potential of tremendous destruction. So when is anger ever accomplished? The will of God, it doesn't, it won't, it never works. Your anger, however you choose to dress it up and disguise it as something else, will never bring about the results God would have accomplished if you had simply left it in His hands and left it alone. Using anger to achieve God's purpose is a characteristic of counterfeit faith. Now you say, what about when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple? Was he angry? I assume he was. But that's an example of divine wrath, which is measured and controlled and delivered with justice and with holiness and even mercy. Because there's a difference between the anger of man and the anger of God. The anger of man, James says, never accomplishes God's purpose. It never brings about the will of God and so if you are a person who's characteristically angry and tries to make your point or get your way that's not the way God wants you to be living and that's a pretty good problem pretty good indication that you have a problem with your profession of faith number two listening to the word this is the other characteristic listening to the word but failing to obey it and the word translated ear hearers was used especially of people who were regular in listening to lectures, but who never became real disciples. So it's possible to hear God's Word constantly proclaimed in lessons and from Scripture and in sermons, and to regard being a student or a hearer as an end in itself. And I'm afraid that in our churches today, the vast majority of people who come are simply hearers and more than that. Because if it's not translated into action, if what I read and what I hear has no transformational impact on my life, if it's not changing me, then a great tragedy is taking place in my own soul. James says, an ongoing deception is taking place in my own heart. Verse 22 begins with a single word. It's translated by some uh, versions as be ye hearers, or or doers. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And other translations call it prove yourselves, doers of the word. But the Greek word means simply to become, and it's a call to action, a call to change. Become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Uh, When I was leaving Hamilton after having been there for 20 years, the newspaper interviewed me and uh, they said... This long article in the newspaper came out, and they said, If you could, and they asked me, they said, If you looking back over your ministry and over the years of your ministry, if you could encourage young pastors and uh, others in the ministry about how to live their lives, what would you say? And I simply said this, and I know it to be true in my own heart and my own life being is more important than doing. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes we're busy about doing stuff, but the reality of our own heart is that we're different. You can be busy about singing. You can be busy about preaching. You can be busy about ministry. You can be busy about teaching a Sunday school class and never applying the information that you're teaching, never allowing it to have a transformational impact on your life. You can be busy without truly being what the Word indicates that you ought to be. And this is what he's talking about. We are to be what the Word says we're to be. We're to live as the Word says we're to live. Not just to be busy, not just to be a busy doer, but to be changed by the Word. The word doer means maker, producer, author. In reference to the Word of God, it means for us to put it into action, allow its meaning to play out in our lives. So Christianity is not coming to the church and listening to the Word as a spectator, the word of God is to have a transformational impact on our life. I want to show you a passage of Scripture that you may never have incorporated as personal, because it comes into a it comes in from Ephesians chapter five. It's in verses 25 through 27. And in those verses, uh, Paul is talking about husbands and wives and Christ and the church. And we just sort of miss what he says about the power of the Word. This is what he says. Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that this is what He wants for the church. And listen how He wants to accomplish it. To sanctify her, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of the water, by the washing of water with the Word that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, would be holy and blameless, having been sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water with the Word. The Word is to have a transformational impact on our lives. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, He said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those are the folks who belong to my family, Jesus said. Hearers and not doers have a counterfeit faith. So those are the first two characteristics. Number three, James talks about being content to live with an unbridled tongue. Verse Twenty-six. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. There are two possible translations in the Greek for the first part of verse 26. In your Bibles, it might say, if any man seems to be religious. In mine, it reads, if he thinks himself to be, and both are correct. So let's ponder the first meaning. There are obviously people who seem to be religious. They give all the, as Doug was talking about, all the outward indications. They come to church. They carry a Bible. They sing. And then there are people who think they are religious. They may also come to church or not. They may sing or not. They may carry their Bible or not. But they think that they're religious, and in their heart, they feel like they are. So for James, religion as he talks about it, and faith walk hand in hand. And the word translated, the Greek word religious here, means fearing or worshipping God. The man who thinks he is fearing or worshipping God or the man who seems to be fearing or worshipping God. And according to James, one of the characteristics of a person who genuinely fears or worships is that person lives with a bridled They keep a tight control over what they say. At home, at work, and in the church. There's some times when you just need to keep your mouth shut. Haven't you learned that at home yet? It's better off not saying it. Some things just bite your tongue and go off. James said, advised that we should be swift to hear, slow to speak. Which also means, by the way, and we need to Slow to tweet, slow to text, slow to post something on Facebook, slow to blog our feelings before watching world. You've heard the expression, that person is a loose cannon. That means they're just firing off their opinions without regard to who it hurts, without a clear understanding of what they're talking about or the damage done by their words. Words can hurt or words can heal. And the person who regularly uses their words, whether written or spoken, To be a pitchfork to stick in the sides of others is living with a counterfeit faith. James says they just think they're fearing or worshiping God. Uh, Let me read you this passage of Scripture, by the way. It's from the book of Psalms, chapter 52, verses 2 through 5. Look at how the Old Testament pictures this. Talking about how you talk. All day long you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You are an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to destroy others with your words, you liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you from your home and uproot you from the land of the living. From the New Living Translation, Psalm 52, verses 2 through 5. God expects us to bridle our tongue. The Bible's sort of clear about that. And James identifies that a genuine person of faith should know these things. If you turn over to James chapter 3, James sort of likes talking about the tongue. Look at what he says. Verse 3. Now if we put bits, this is chapter 3, verse 3. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell for every species of beast, birds, of reptiles, of creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our, fa- our Lord and our Father. You're a good, good Father, we sing. He didn't put that in there. I threw that in there myself. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine tree, figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? Jesus said the problem with the mouth, the problem with the tongue, is not the problem with the thing in your mouth, it's the problem with your heart. Jesus said it's out of the heart that... The thing, these things come out of the mouth. And so the root of the problem is in here. The tongue is just evidence. If my tongue is unbridled, that means my heart, my life, my soul is not living under the Lordship of Christ. So the way you use your tongue or your text or Facebook or tweets exposes you for who you are. An unbridled tongue is an estimation of a counterfeit faith. First Peter 3.10, the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the first three, exercising human anger to accomplish your own purpose or to think you're accomplishing God's will is an indication of a counterfeit faith. Listening to the word but failing to obey it, number two. Number three, being content to live with an unbridled tongue. Number four, failing to exercise compassion to those in distress. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress. Now religion in this verse means the outward expression of your inward fear of God. Here the word refers not so much as to what you say as to what you do. You know that Jesus always cared about people. He cares about you, he cares about me, he cared about people everywhere. Knowing their faults and failures, he still loved them, he cared about the sick and hurting. And the word visit in this verse, by the way, means more than knock on somebody's door. It means to see about their needs. It means a visit that has the intention of attending to and meeting the needs of that individual. You know, in the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And therefore he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out workers into his harvest. If we say we have faith, but we have no compassion on people who are hurting or lost, then our outward expression says that we have no inward fear of God. I love the Lord. I don't care about those folks over there, not one bit in the world. I don't care about them because of what color they are. I don't care about them because of they got tattoos on them. They got earrings in their ears. They don't look like me, they don't smell like me, they don't live like me, I, they're dirty, they're nasty, they're Ole Miss fans or something, you know. We don't want to say that. Neil's somewhere listening to that. He identified with that. We don't want to make any estimation about anybody and say that anybody's not worth caring about. We need to be people who reach out to others, whoever they are, wherever they are, in society and even in sin, and have compassion on them. Finally, One of the characteristics of counterfeit faith, and this is probably the one most of us fall into, you're going to be surprised when it comes up. Being comfortable to come to church with a corrupt heart. Pure and undefiled religion, verse 27, is this. Look at the last part of that verse. To keep oneself unstained or unspotted by the world. Remember this, the word religion means the outward expression of your inward fear of God. And when I allow my heart to be defiled by the influences of my society and remain so, it's a clear indication that something is wrong with my inward fear of God. And James says you need to to investigate your faith to see if it's genuine or if it's counterfeit. Here's what James says, verse 21. Therefore putting aside all filthiness... He didn't say some. He didn't say a little bit here and there. He said, put aside all of it, all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The potential of salvation exists for every person here, but it depends on allowing the word of God to do its cleansing work in you, it's not just being a person who sits in the pew and listens or a person who stands in the pulpit and preaches. It's being a person who obediently responds to the Word of God, allowing it to take root in our heart. Even that comes with a caution because James talks about people who look in the mirror. How many times do you look in the mirror? You know, uh, we, take, we, we take, people take, I don't take them. You take selfies, stuff. I don't take them, I don't like to look at my selfie. But why do, we, why do people take selfies? They take selfies because I like to go back and look at themselves so they don't forget what they look like. You know what you look like yesterday? You won't look like tomorrow. It's a guarantee, it's a guarantee. You're gonna change. And so what you look like tonight when you go to bed, if you've got hair, you won't look like that in the morning. One of the things I like about my hair is I never have cap hair or bed hair or any hair. Never messed up. But you know, when you did, when I did have it, when I got up in the morning, it was, and I did have it, I had lots of it, and it was everywhere. And I wanted it to look nice, so I looked in the mirror to make myself look nice. And James says, you also need to look in the Word of God once in a while you need to take a look a good look at what God is saying about you because only when you look in God's word do you get a pretty good picture of who you are and sometimes when you look in God's word one of the things you can see is you've got some corruption in your heart now wh- the problem is the problem is when i become comfortable with that everybody's going to have some corruption in their heart just like every morning when you get up you need to attend to your personal appearance You should. You should clean up. You should dress up a little bit. Robert should dress up a little bit more than others because you just need a little help, Robert, now and then. You know that. Some of us need a little more help than others. I'm one of those. But all of us should take a good look at who we are and what we're like so that our lives are not contrary to the very Word of God that we claim to believe. We claim to be religious, but our lives are spotted and stained By the world. Verse 22 Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only who delude themselves. Let me say, James draws these conclusions about people who read the word or listen to the word and are not impacted by it personally. Number one, he says they're deluded. They're deluded. That's a pretty serious word. It means to reckon wrong, it means to come to the wrong conclusion. It means to cheat by false reckoning. One of the last persons you want to cheat is yourself, right? Second, he said they live with a deceived heart. Literally, they cheated themselves, lied to themselves, misled themselves about their own relationship with God. Uh, Their faith has not just failed, their profession of faith has proved to be false. And let me remind you of one more thing, one more thing that James said. He said their religion, their faith, is worthless. It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? It's been weighed in the balances and found worthless. The word worthless means given to vain things and leading away from salvation, devoid of force, truth, and success. So today, my faith and your faith, every time we open the word of God, James said our faith is on trial by the very word of God that we claim to believe. The demons, they believe. And they tremble. Do you? Let's pray.